Welcome to the Recovery Lab podcast. We're glad you were able to join us. Recovery Lab hopes to destigmatize addiction and normalize recovery. Our platform provides an avenue to share the many stories of those that have recovered from addiction, providing for the listener the most basic antidote to addiction. Hope. Welcome back. This is the Recovery Lab podcast series. I'm Drew Hassan. I'm Daniel Anderson. I kind of got lost listening to the music and kind of missed my beat, but it works out because it gives you a minute to get back over here. Yeah, yeah, it worked out well. All right, this is episode number 62. 62 of the Recovery Lab podcast series. We're welcomed by none other than E.C. Simmons. Do you want us to call you E.C. or Elizabeth Clark, the whole thing? E.C. E.C. What was that? Is that your phone? <laughs> She's got two phones. <laughs> I gotta work. He's like, why the heck do you have two phones? I gotta work. Go she, to the, to our she and our Kevin Gates both. <laughs> our pre-conversations. Uh, no, I have a work phone. Of course you do. Well, welcome. It's like a burner phone. <laughs> She's actively trafficking drugs. <laughs> Getting that All money. Right. All right. Everybody we really a- do have to be mindful, though, because her grandmother does have my telephone. <laughs> well, welcome. <laughs> uh, all right, let's... <laughs> I know everybody out there is maybe wondering why I said her grandmother has my phone number, but so EC is my sister-in-law. Yeah, we are. Favorite we sister-in-law. Go. Favorite sister-in-law. Mm-hmm. You really are. Yeah. Well, look, I'm glad you decided to do this. It's been a long time in the making. Yes, I'm excited <laughs> to be here. All right. The general <laughs> format is kind of like an AA speaker meeting with questions. A 12-step speaker. Yeah. So why don't you just start talking about how you're qualified to be here? And then we'll throw in interesting questions to elicit interesting responses. Mm. Okay. Um, Well, I am in recovery. I will, I have, thank God, I have a little over six and a half years sober. Um, Lord willing, in April of next year will be my seventh year sober. April what? April the 3rd. I'm April 11th. My sister's birthday. Oh, wow. I was there. I saw you on April 3rd. That was fun, wasn't it? Oh, boy. She was lit. (laughs) (laughs) Popping Xanax on the way to rehab. That a girl. Proud of you. She was in in there. (laughs) That's awesome. I was like, I can remember, I can remember too, like, I'm, these aren't working. <laughs> right, right, right. I don't feel like this has done anything. My anxiety's so terrible. Oh, looking back now, I was toe up. She was. Yeah, they work until they stop working. Yeah. Yeah. So go on. April third, you got sober. April third, you'll have seven years. Yes. Lord willing. Okay. Absolutely. Um. So my sister actually, she's in recovery as well too. Um, and my brother-in-law. Um. My sister, actually, I didn't realize that the whole time, well, I guess I can just kind of start talking about whatever, right? 
Um, Floor's yours. Awesome. We're not regulated by the World is your oyster. My sister's been on here before, and she's talked about it. She's also in recovery. But growing up, it was kind of like um, my sister's addiction was more obvious than mine. Mm -hmm. Um, She ended up, you know, her addiction took her to using the needle and, you know, heroin and all that, where I think... Thankfully, it scared me to the point that I would never do that. Not saying that my addiction wouldn't have taken me there, but it kind of just steered me away. Right. And the whole time, my family was always focused on my sister because, like, obviously, she's the one that was more apparent that she had a problem where I just drank. And And she's the older sister? Mm -hmm. She's four years older than I am. So, so you got to kind of fly under the radar a little bit with your addiction. Yes. Did that cause problems though, that, that she got all this attention and you didn't even it was, even though it was, you know, negative attention, did you ever, were you over like kind of jealous that she was getting all this, you know, all this attention and here, here you were also struggling, but nobody really cared or was it, was it like that at all? Well, that's good. That's a good question. I will say that I did struggle for a while because it was always it was, it's, well, it's always kind of been about my sister, yeah. you know, she, but she's, she's more of, she likes to be in the spotlight. She's even till this day, she's the one who likes to be in the spotlight where I'm the kind of one that likes to be in the background. There's certain times that I like to be in the, in the spotlight, but at the same <laughs> time, <laughs> I, I wouldn't describe you as like a wallflower. No, 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 not, not at all. But I'm just saying like, if Kimberly and I are in the room, like you're going to know Kimberly's there before you know I'm there. Wouldn't you say that? <laughs> this, this Can't really your, put your earphones. This on. is your episode. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna let you say what you need to I'm say. I'm waiting for your phone to ring from Kimberly right now. <laughs> this is a minefield right here. Isn't it? <laughs> no, but, well, going back, I anyway. I like to be. I like people to know that I'm here. Like, watch out, I'm here. But at the same time, growing up, yes, it was. When Kimberly was in the spotlight, we were always focusing on her, you know, sending her to treatment stuff where I was kind of always just drinking and having fun. Right. But I wouldn't say as far as did it negatively affect me? No, I just, it's just, it, it is what it is. So there was no like. Do you think it lets you get away with more? Because I, I know you, so yeah. you were mainly a drinker, yeah. right? And I mean, I know you took some pills too, but you weren't out there doing Coke and heroin, meth. freebasing meth. Yeah, so it kind of let it, it provides some cover for you. You get to have the more socially acceptable, right? Yeah, addiction. And I functioned for a really, really long time. You know, I I went to Mississippi State. Um, after I graduated, I went to state. I stayed there for two and a half years. Then, well, three years. And then my grandfather got a brain tumor, so I moved home for a semester. I transferred colleges because i wanted to be closer to home so i transferred to mc i stayed there for a while um i didn't even know that you went to mc huh yeah for a semester were you in one of those tribes no okay i was not in a tribe the mc they don't have sororities they have tribes they have tribes they're extra like that yeah okay um so i went to mc and then i Took a semester off, which that was the worst thing ever because once you take a semester off, you're not going back. Yeah, you lose that forward momentum. Yeah, which, I mean, I was not doing, I mean, I was a C student, but I wasn't, like, on a roll or anything like that. But um, So I never went back. And then 
2013, my first grandfather passed away, and that was kind of, you know, that kind of took a negative effect <clears throat> on me, and I would say that I started drinking more. <clears throat> and then in 2015, I was in a terrible relationship, found out that my grandfather, my other grandfather, was he was not doing well, so I was living outside of Hattiesburg, I'm going back and forth a whole lot from Jackson because I've always been somebody that likes to care for people. So I was, I wanted to be there for my grandfather. To a fault sometimes or no? Um, I think it's just more like in my, in my nature, I, I helped take care of my dad when he was sick growing up. Um, and so I think for me, it just comes naturally. Mm -hmm. um, so then my second grandfather got sick the day that my grandfather passed away, my ex's mother told me that she had moved my stuff out of the house and it was in storage and so that was kind of like two big things that just hit me in the face and um so I, I, that's like the beginning to my downward spiral I ended up moving in moving back to Jackson moving in with my grandmother with Mimi did you know I lived with Mimi I know y'all had kind of a revolving door like, if you ride around Jackson with Kimberly, she's like, oh, yeah, EC and I lived there for a little while. And EC lived there, and <laughs> I lived there for a little while. Oh, I, I, you know. Kimberly and I tried to live together a whole lot, especially when her boys were little. And, look, that was terrible. I'd have to, like, look, Kimberly's probably going to, don't say that. I can remember <laughs> literally having a safe in the in the trunk of my car and putting my Adderall in it. Somehow she would find it and break my safe open and get it out. I believe it. I mean, I mean yeah. But Depends was, on what milligram. I mean, 30 milligrams. You know. I got 90 of those things a month. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I was rolling. <laughs> um, but, yeah, Kimberly and I did try to live each with each other. Um, it always ended up not being well, you know, like a couple of times she would go back to treatment and then I'd be stuck with bills and stuff like that. Um, so that wasn't good. But yeah, I lived with Mimi after um, Grand Grand Dad, 2015. She let me stay there until I could get on my feet, um, which I never got on my feet, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she ended up moving to Atlanta. And when she moved, um, I moved into an apartment. But 2015... Like, October-ish of 2015 till the time I went to treatment, April 2017, really was, like, a big blur. Like, I didn't have a job. I couldn't hold down a job, so I was just waitressing, which that's an easy an easy thing to do, especially if you're drinking, because, you know, they don't give a damn if you show up for work, right. you know? Like, they don't care. So, I was doing that, and... It was just, it was that, I would say, probably somewhere in 2016, it became, I didn't have any control over alcohol. It was completely consuming my life. Before then, I was always a five o'clock drinker. Go to work, and then at five o'clock, I could, you know, I could start drinking, and then I would drink till I passed out, but in a, obviously, over the years, it got to be more and more, um, but in 2000, go back a little bit. So 2015, that Christmas, I was working at the time and I was working in an office. And then um, I started having this like 
that morning I started having this like weird like allergic reaction like started breaking out in hives and then like my throat started getting scratchy and like my eyes started swelling shut and I was like what the heck so ended up having to go to the emergency room and they pumped me full of a you know bunch of Benadryl and stuff and it was fine and then I started having these like weird reactions like over and over again and my grandmother that's when I was living with her she was like we got to figure out what's going on so she spent god knows how much sending me to an allergist they did all these tests and they basically said that I had they called it idiopathic something basically it was a fancy word for house for no apparent reason yeah that's what idiopathic means yeah we don't know why yeah and so Basically, I was just getting all these hives, but it got to the point where I was becoming anaphylaxic. So I had an EpiPen, and when I would have one of these things, I would have to jab myself. <laughs> it wasn't fake. Y'all's physical ailments know no bounds. Yeah. <laughs> so, but no, it was bad. I mean, the <laughs> yes, of course. Man. Yeah, I should. Of course. <laughs> So, but looking back on all this time, you know, when I was going to all these doctors and I was having all these freak realities over there just thinking. <laughs> so when I was having all of these reactions, you know, the weird thing is when I went to, when I checked myself into treatment, I had to have all these things. I also had to take like a bunch of, it was like allergy pills and I was on steroids. It looked like a blown up whale. Like You were swole up for yeah, sure. It's, it was bad. Like you could you could stick a pin in me and I would have deflated and blown away. But it, I mean, it was bad, <laughs> but, and then, you know, when I went to the home of grace, cause that's where I went, they were like, you know, you can't take any, like you can take certain medicines, but nothing, not all of them. So you I need ha- the Holy spirit. Yes. Yeah, so faith based. Mm-hmm, same place that Kimberly went. So when I got there and I got sober, all of a sudden these allergic reactions stopped happening. And then I look back, and the only thing, obviously, that I never told the doctor was the amount of alcohol I was taking in. So my body was literally having, it was, you know, it was trying to fight off the amount of alcohol that I was putting in my body. Um, Before I checked myself into treatment, I was drinking a half a gallon of vodka a day. Better girl. Yeah. Pinnacle. Only way to go. At one point, I started out, you know, I was like, kettle one and all that and shoot that guy you know here comes the belvedere fifty dollars for you know mad dog yeah, yeah. <laughs> so i switched you know pinnacle 20 bucks we could do that. and you know it's weird because i was telling kimberly the other day we were talking about it and i was like i can literally remember there was times where i would be like counting up change like yeah. i'd spend all my money like thankfully like i'd paid my bills and stuff but then i would be like oh, crap, you know, I need to go get some more vodka. And I would be, and there was probably, like, I was so drunk, there's probably, like, money in my purse or something, but I was counting quarters, you know? Just that craziness that happens. But another thing is kind of how I got to treatment. Um, It was a God thing because, like I said, Kimberly, my sister, the Home of Grace was her 13th treatment. Um, I'd never been... And, you know, of course, Kimberly had, she used to always say, well, you drink, you know, like you're, I mean, she tells a story about one time I'd been up like all night on like a binger, like eating Adderall and drinking. And me and one of my friends came and picked her up to take her to an appointment from, from Harbor House. We were like, high as a kite, you know, we'd been up drinking all night, taking Adderall, it was a good time. But in my opinion, I could, 
I justified it. You know, it was just alcohol, whatever. <clears throat> how to prescribe. Yeah, a doctor prescribed it. A doctor it. prescribed it right. It can't it be to wrong us. if it's yeah. prescribed. So, I can't not take it. Right. Yeah, that I would mean, be going against medical advice. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, I've got to take I am this. not one to go against my medical advice. Right. I mean, you got to take them all. Mm-hmm. Go you big do or go home. Do. Absolutely. And so when Kimberly went to the home of Grace, there was a lot of, I will say that towards the end of it, there was a lot of anger that I had towards my sister just because I had seen the hurt that she had caused in our family. Um, not not saying that I didn't do terrible things too, but there had just been just this, I had a lot of hate, not hate, but anger towards my sister. And so when she first started... And can you, can you identify exactly why... You hated her. I know you touched on it briefly, but what's what's at the base hates, of that? Hate's a strong word, though. I yeah, don't yeah, hate no, anybody. Yeah, Anger. Of course, of course. I think probably for Kimberly, because it was like I saw this endless cycle of getting sober, um, doing well for a while, and then, boom, she just couldn't get it. She just couldn't stay sober. Something always happened. You know, I mean, I would be the first person. Look. You are not getting high. Like, you are going to stay sober. You have kids, blah, blah, blah. You know, whatever. I was very, like, I had a reason to judge her. But, you know, whatever. I was like, this is what you're going to do. I guess for me it was more just like, why can't you get this? Like, why can't you just stay sober? And I never knew. Of course I never knew because I'd never been in her shoes. And I never. So how exactly did her actions affect you? I think for me it was a way for me just to hide. You know, to if it, if she was in the spotlight, I could hide what I was dealing with. Right, and and the fact that she wasn't in the spotlight was the source of the anger, or no, 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 just like, saying like that vicious cycle of okay, take so her to she's rehab, she like, can do all this, and yes. and then she's praised with attention and love, and you do it one uh, time, and you're not praised with attention. Oh, no, no, no. Like, well, I hadn't been there. I hadn't been okay, at this okay, point. Okay, I hadn't okay, okay. like I'm saying when Kimberly checked herself into treatment, right? She, um, I'm just trying to identify. I think exactly. it's more, more of the, the more we can focus on Kimberly's misdeeds, the less we focus the less on there me. is, the, yeah. you know, the less of the finite attention to be focused on me. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. I'm seeing a, a theme here. A lot of your story has a lot to do with Kimberly. Yeah. Well, I mean, she's eventually the reason I got sober. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's the whole thing I was going to say is, you know, when she was in treatment, we were, she would call and I would, you know, you don't, I mean, if you've ever been in treatment, you know, you don't usually get to call till at night. Well, look, I was heavy in the vodka by the time she would call at seven o'clock at night or whatever. And I can remember, um, that was in January of 2017, um, on, New Year's Day of 2017, I was working. I was a waitress, and I had a full-blown seizure at work. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was kind of along with those allergic DT? reactions. Yes. Okay. So they took me um, to the hospital. Of course, everything was fine. And then, yeah, I was it was I was detoxing from right. alcohol and Xanax. I mean, those are the two things that can kill you. Right. Right. And Xanax so, is no joke. Alcohol yeah. is no joke. And um, I can remember actually when my doctor put me on Xanax. So a couple of years later, I was like, I don't want to be on this anymore. I don't like it. And he was like, well, we can't just take take you off of it. You can't just cold, cold turkey. turkey. And I'm like, okay. But so Kimberly would call me. And then a couple of nights, you know, I would answer. And I can remember one night for three days prior, 
to talking to her, I could remember I was so depressed um, that I said for three days straight, all I'm going to do is get up today and take a shower. And I would sit on the end of my bed and I'd be like, there's the bathroom. And I was so depressed. I'd be like, screw it. I'm just going to start drinking. And so I'd just start drinking again. And it was absolutely miserable. And I can remember Kimberly calling me and she was like, look, like you need this home of grace place. Like, it's really great. I just, I really wish that you would consider coming here. You know, like you can get sober, you can be happy. Like, and I could hear in my sister's voice that there was something different Mm -hmm. than all the other times. It was like, she was faking it, you know, um, or not faking it, but not committed a hundred percent. Yes. There was something different this time. And so she was like, I really wish you would come. And looking back now, I know it was God doing for me what I couldn't do for myself. I was like, Mm -hmm. okay, I'll do it. Um, and I didn't know this until later, but every single time that they would have a chapel or whatever at, at the home of grace, Kimberly would go to the front and ask for prayer for me. And, um, Everybody was praying for me. Ugh, I don't want to get emotional, but everybody was praying for me to to get help because, you know, like she knew more than anybody the depths of what I was going through because she had seen it. Like, yeah, but just because I was Time and time again. Yeah, you know, and for me, thinking back, you know, on the, um, the amount of alcohol I was taking, drinking, and then the amount of Xanax I was, you know... I mean, I had a prescription for the maximum amount of bars you can get. I don't even know what it was, but I was taking four or five bars a day. Right. And, um, like, it was a vicious cycle. I knew how much I could take while I was drinking to get, like, super effed up and then just to black out. And then, uh, but I also knew how much not to take because one time I took too many and I ended up in the hospital with my stomach being pumped. Um, and then, and then on top of that, like I knew the next day, like I had to take a half of, I had to take a half of a bar just to keep from getting a hangover. And then I would know, you know, that was probably like as soon as I woke up and then later I'd have to take another half. And then, you know, my anxiety, of course, the, the longer without alcohol I would get during the day, the more I was having to take from keeping, you know, from feeling like absolute shit. And so it was just this vicious cycle And I think more than anybody, you know, Kimberly, she saw that and she was like, all right, like, you know, we're going to pray, get through it. And so, yes, Kimberly is a big part of it because she definitely, she led me to recovery. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and like I said, I I heard something different in, in her voice. And so we couldn't be on, we couldn't be on the program at the same time. And so Kimberly um, graduated on her birthday, which was April 3rd. And that's the day I checked myself in. Um, but I mean, as far as the amount of alcohol, looking back and seeing what all I did and, you know, somebody, one of the counselors at the home of grace said once, like, if you ever think about going back to drinking, just remember how miserable you were before you got sober. And I literally can just picture myself sitting on that bed, so depressed and so miserable and like I said, all I wanted to do was take a shower, and I couldn't even do that because alcohol had such a control on me. And I was just like, well, screw it. You know, this is it. I honestly think that if I had not, if God hadn't stepped in and, you know, said, look, you're doing this, then I, I would be dead by now. Yeah. Yeah. 
for sure I would have been dead. You know, it would have been a seizure or, you know, the amount of alcohol is put in my body. I mean, dang, it was only so long before my body started shutting down. Right. You know, thankfully I never had any, I remember jokingly, I went to a two year checkup. I was two years sober. And my doctor was like, congratulations, your liver survived, right. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's amazing. It's a miracle that I, I don't have any kind of side effects. You know I mean? I think all of us are a miracle in, in right. a lot of ways, you know, I mean, we should be dead or have some kind of, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, severe issues. Tick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about something else. Severe. Yes. <laughs> yeah. uh, All right. So you've gone to treatment and life is looking better. What happens then? So when I got out of treatment, I was like, well, like, what the heck am I going to do? Because I. What the heck am I going to do? Yeah. Now? So when was it? This was three months 17. after April. I graduated in, in June. Okay. Of 2017. And so I was like, well, I don't know. So I went to the grad dorm. Kimberly was living at the grad dorm still. So I moved over. I was like, you know, stay it, you know, stay longer so you can figure out what you want to do. I had no idea. I didn't have a house to go back to um, because when I moved or when I went to treatment, I was living in Rusty's old house. Like my mom. In Jackson? Dad. Yeah. And so... In Northeast Jackson? Around the corner from Amy and Dad's. Okay. And so um, they had, you know, I couldn't go back there. I could, you know, like my mom had moved all my stuff out of there when they moved the rest of the people out. And the roommate situation when I was there, that was a whole different level of chaos when I was, before I was in treatment. They were some, I lived with some, you know how like when you're in your addiction and you just find all these random people to hang out with? You're just like, I'm trying to find somewhere to sleep. You're just like, yeah, yeah like you can live with me. Like it was, it, yeah, it was, it was something else. But so I stayed at, at the grad dorm for a couple months and then my dumb ass decided to, um, start back talking to my ex that the one that had moved my stuff out, like when my grandfather died. Mm -hmm. Um, so I started back, start, started talking back to him. And then of course, from then on, it was like, this is my way out. Like this is, this is my saving grace, like a place to live, all this kind of stuff. So I actually ended up moving to an Oxford house first in Hattiesburg, um, where I ran into you that time mm -hmm. at an AA meeting. So I was there for about a month. Um, and then just trying to get on my feet. And then he was like, well, why don't you just move back, you know, back in with me. Okay. Like, great. So ended up moving outside of Hattiesburg again and um <clears throat> about two months after I moved back, well, I don't even know if it was that long. So I was six months sober when I moved in back in with him. And one day we were out doing something and I picked up the console of his truck and there was just empty airplane bottles everywhere. And I was like, Okay, great. So airplane bottles. A vodka. Oh got it, got it. Or got it. not vodka, whiskey. And I was like, Great. I'm living in a house with a full-blown alcoholic who's hiding it from me, and here I am trying to stay sober. Um, so I was like, what am I going to do? So the whole time, of course, I learned at treatment, you know, stay plugged in. I'd found a recovery group at church. I was going there every Sunday. Um, it was, the more I went to church, the worse it got at home. It was um, like, I'm going to stop you from going if I can, like, anything and everything, it was almost like, because he was sick, he didn't want me to get better. Um, and he would say things to me like, well, I can drink. I'm the one that doesn't have the problem, stuff like that. Well, and I, of course, you know, I'm 
kind of a smart ass, I would be like, well, if you didn't have a problem, then why are you hiding it? Um, but I just remember this. Valid point. Yeah, you know, and I would just be like, he would always kind of look down on me for, and I'd be like, well, I'm the one that's sober, you know, I don't have to drink today. And so I just continued to do what I knew that I needed to do to stay sober. I had lots of people that were praying for me. I had lots of connections back at the home of grace, you know, and I knew it was going on. And then I'd asked my mom um, at one point, like, can I just move back in with you for a little while um, until I can figure something out? And she was like, no, you can't come here. And I was like, all right, great. Um, And that's because, unfortunately, at that time, my mom was in a bad relationship. And he controlled what she did. So she she couldn't let me come home. Um, And so I was just like, all right, I'm just going to stick it out. So I actually went to give my testimony. Kimberly and I both went to give our testimony um, at a place in Philadelphia, Mississippi. And when we were up there talking, I was like, on my way home, it just hit me. And I was like, I've got to get out of this. Like, I have got, my thing is, if I don't leave, it's only a matter of time before I start drinking again. And then there goes everything. Um, So on the way back, I called my sister and I let her know and then I called Barry Walker who runs the river in Philadelphia and I was talking to him and I was like like I've got to get out of this like I need y'all's help so we just started praying and every time I would save up some money it was like something would happen I mean of course I'm very much of a control freak and more so in my in my sobriety it's I think for me it's that's the one thing I can hold on to a lot of times so I like to control everything that I can And so every time I would try to save up some money or do anything, it was like something would happen and I would have to use it or whatever. And so finally, I had no plan, like none whatsoever. And then finally, one day, um, kind of a sad story, but my ex, like we lived in his house, like, you know, like I moved there, like I didn't have a vehicle at the time because I think mine like blew up before I went to treatment. Um, And so... My car was his, and then his family owned a restaurant, and that's where I worked. So, like, everything about me was focused around this relationship. So, if I left, I had nothing. Um, and so, one weekend, he looked at me, and he was like, I'm going I'm going fishing this weekend with my dad, and, like, you're staying here. Like, But the vehicle that I had was not working, and he hadn't taken it to the shop yet. And so, he was literally going to leave me home all weekend long without a vehicle or any way to go. Just... I mean, the crap I got myself into. But I just looked at him, and I said, I'm leaving you. And he just said, what did you say? And I said, I'm leaving you. And I'll never forget his word. He said, who cares about you enough to come pick you up? And I knew more than anything that my family did not, like, did not approve of him. Like, Mimi didn't like him, Clark and Larry, my mom, nobody liked him. Um, I knew the one person that he couldn't stand more than anything, like, they did not get along with Clark. So I just looked at him. I said, well, Clark's coming to pick me up. Clark didn't come pick me up. Mm-hmm. But it, it was a jab. So my sister actually drove the next day. We got everything that I could fit in her car. It was me and my dog and all my stuff. Um, I had a friend from church that I'd met that had become a really good friend. She happened to have an um, an extra bedroom in a house that her son lived in that I could store my stuff. She said, you can store it for however long you need. Um, So I did that. And it was just like the next literally 12 hours, everything was so seamless. It was, it was nothing but God. 
Um, right. Everything lined up, and it was like this whole time I was trying to make my my own plan, and God was just saying, let me do it. Right. Um, and so I went to Mobile, and then when I went to Mobile, it was um, I lived with Kimberly for like, or I stayed with Kimberly for a couple of weeks, and then got a connection through somebody at the Home of Grace. They were like, "Look, you need to you need to call this woman. Her name is Tasha Ridley. She just started um, running a women's sober living home. It's faith based. It's great. It's in Sims." Um, so I was like, okay, so I, I text Tasha and I was like, Hey, you know, I got your number. And she was like, all right, like, great. Like you can come. When can you come? And I was like, well, I mean, I guess I can come Monday or whatever. Um, and she was like, can you come today? I can come get you. And I was like, Oh no, I'm not ready to go today. So I think I went on Monday, Kimberly dropped me off. Um, and so that was in September of 2000 and was it eight? So 2018, um, yeah, so 2018, I went there um, and ended up staying there until I moved to Ocean Springs in 2022, so I moved moved to Pasco, um, which they have a men and a women's program, but it's... Um, they have men? Mm-hmm, yeah, so Philip that owns Pasco, he... He and Rocky run the men's side of it. And then Tasha, um, she runs the women's. And before I got there, before Tasha took over, Philip had tried to run, had one trial run at women's, and it didn't work out. They couldn't find somebody that was sober to stay in the position to run it and everything like that. Um, but so I was lived in Mobile. Uh, literally two weeks after I got there, I met a lady at church. She asked for my resume because we were just talking. Um, I had like a two-week temp job, and then they called me. And There's this job. We want you to start on a Saturday. I was like, who the hell, who the hell works on Saturday? Who starts on Saturday? Um, that's when Hurricane Michael had hit. So I went to work for um, an insurance adjusting firm, and I was um, in the billing department because I had that from working for a law firm for nine years. Um as my experience so I ended up working there and then staying there and then that's where my career is now I mean like that was the first it was all God that like added up to that because I'm still in the insurance adjusting field but I've moved up and I've made a way for myself and now I'm a claims manager um, not for the same firm because that one is no longer there. Um, the, the owners of my old one took me to a new company. So, um, that everything about, I mean, I just say it's a God thing because God's, he's the, the number one thing in my story. I mean, there's no other way you can explain anything about where I've been, what I've been through or anything without just saying like, wow, like God did that. Right. Yeah. It's super easy to. <laughs> when you lift your arms up and just kind of say, all right, God, I am, I am smart enough to know that I am not smart enough to know what's best for me right now. Right. And I trust you. Mm-hmm. Then he comes in and grabs your hand and says, all right, let's do this. I've, I've seen it time and time again. It happened in my life. It happened in millions of other people's lives. So I'm very, very, uh, happy that everything worked out for you. And again, it, you know, it's a testament to, you know, just, kind of getting to a point where 
you're broken just enough to trust God that he's going to, he's got your best interest at heart and he's going to take care of you no matter what. It may not look like what you think it's going to look like or how, you know, you think it's going to work out, but ultimately it always works best if you just trust him. And that's all he's asking. Just, just trust me. Just trust me. And I think a couple of times he really had to like knock me on my feet, be like, you know, this is like, it's not going to, your way doesn't work. So watch me. And then I, I don't, I don't think that he knocks you on your feet. I think that he allows things. Yes. To, well, he allows like, you like he, right, he right, allows right. you to get to a place where it's like, he can't like, all right, like you're going to fall yeah, 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 because you're not asking me for help. And then I'm going to pick you up. Right. So, yeah. And then, um, so while I was at this sober living home, I was like the face of Pasco going to churches, you know, giving my testimony, all this kind of good stuff. And then, um, found out I was pregnant Mm -hmm. so I didn't tell anybody like I told Kimberly and um actually Drew and Kim I I was there when you found out I took the pregnancy test and I made Drew go downstairs and and read it and I was I mean it was like I was like bad late for my period and so like Kimberly and I were in the bathroom we gave it to Drew and he ran downstairs and he was like all right I'll never forget what he's do you remember what you said I have no idea said congratulations mama (laughs) well said (laughs) so and then I was like oh shit you know like here we are and I'm living in a sober living home it's faith-based like we're not even supposed to be dating like here I am pregnant and so I hid it for a long time for Kimberly and Kimberly and Drew were the only ones that knew for a while and then I tried to hide it for a long time and then um I finally told my mom and I remember like I told my mom, she was like, we were like driving somewhere. I was in ocean Springs that weekend. I was telling her, I was like, she was, we'd been at the pool or something and I said something and I can't remember what it was, but we kind of got into a heated argument or whatever. I said, I said, mom, I just need you to shut up or something. She was like, what's wrong? And I was like, I'm pregnant. And she looked at me and she said, what are you going to do? Like, and I was like, and I just, the only thing I said was all I said is, I said, I don't know, Mom, but I know that God has this under control. And and for me, that was the first time that I got to choose, like, you know, like, I, look, I have no idea how to do this. Like, this is obviously above my thing, but I know that. Above my pay grade. Yeah, <laughs> you know, but I know that at the end of the day, the only thing that matters is that God is still good, and he's going he's gonna to provide, and he's going to do everything. So I was still living in the sober living home, and I had to t- finally Tasha. Well, Tasha prayed about it for seven days, and she sat down in her chair in her office, and God said, "Ec's pregnant," and she said, "No, no, she's not." And literally, that's that's what happened. And so Tasha was. I was in her office, and she said, "Are you pregnant?" And I just lost it. Um, I was already twelve weeks at that point. I already knew what I was having. I already knew I was having a little boy when she found out. Um, and so she was like, all right, well, we got to talk to Philip. We got to see what he says. Of course, you know, with my upbringing and it's nothing against my family. It's, it's just the way that the society and everything you're raised in Northeast Jackson, you know, it's, if you do something wrong, you're, you're shunned, you know? And, um, so for me, my biggest fear was, all right, like I'm living in this sober living home that's based on, you know, Jesus and everything. I'm going to get kicked out. So that's what we, I thought, and then I found out that Philip was like, I'm not going to, like, why would I kick you out? Like, um, come to find out, you know, he was like, he actually looked at me, and he was like, 
I knew we wanted to start a women's and children's home. I just didn't know it was for you. So literally 30 days after they found out that I was pregnant, I kicked Philip and Rocky out of their house. They ran the program and they made it into a sober living home, like a women's and children's home. So that when I had Blake, we had a home to go to. Um, When I say God provided everything and then some, I did not have to buy one single thing. Um, The whole time I was pregnant, all of the people that that come there and pour their love out, they were nothing but supportive. Um, They threw me baby showers. You know, they they gave me stuff. People would just come by, you know, would be friends with somebody and they would find out that I was having a little boy. And, hey, I know somebody that's having a little boy. If you have any extra clothes, literally before I had Blake, I had like I went over there one. It literally looked like babies are us in there. <laughs> I mean, I had everything. I no had, joke. I, I had, mean, it was. Crazy. I still have clothes. Like I just, I think I just opened up the last box. Like when Blake started wearing four T, and they were all brand new stuff that people had just bought and donated. You know, I mean, God literally provided in every way possible, and even up to like you know most of the time when you go to um, have a baby, it's not really that cheap in a hospital. I had to pay $150 my whole pregnancy um, out of pocket for, I mean, for everything. So it was, it was, I just trusted God and I just let him do it. And then, so we stayed at Pasco and I finally, for the first time in my life, you know, I'd always tried to be in control. Like, I'm going to do it my way. I want my plan to work. Like, God, like, here's my plan. Like, you just bless it. Like, let me get everything together. And then you just say, okay, here you go. That's great. For the first time, I was like, I don't have any control. So I just had to say, all right, God, like, whenever, whenever you tell me I can leave, I can leave. Um, So I ended up having Blake stayed with my mom for six months. Um, Unintentionally, it was only going to be for eight weeks, but. Then, um, once again, God said, no, I had an open wound for six months after my C-section because I know that after eight weeks, I wouldn't have been ready to go back by myself and live, you know, with this newborn child. So we lived with my mom for six months and then I went back to Mobile. Um, and then later, like a year later, I finally just asked, I asked my company, I was like, can we just make my, it was COVID anyway. I was like, can we just make my position full-time remote because I want to move and so they were like okay so then I moved to Ocean Springs and then the position I'm in now is will always be remote but the one I had then was not um and so we moved to Ocean Springs and now I have a a three and a half year old and I have a hundred percent sec uh success rate at keeping the hi- tiny human alive so yeah that's that is an impressive <laughs> right. string of days you it's stacked right. up you can't <clears throat> you can't can't argue with those statistics i know right 100 percent. yeah <laughs> you're gonna use that aren't you no look 60 percent kimberly and i were talking about that the other night we're like <laughs> we've kept him alive <laughs> right right, like, right heck yeah some days it'd be like that dhs yeah. has been at our house <laughs> zero times right absolutely <laughs> Zero times. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> it's hard sometimes. I mean, kids. Whatever. Look, I'm telling you, it was like World War Three at Kimberly and Drew's house when I was leaving. Like, I bet it was Thomas and and Blake. Her son is five weeks five weeks younger than Thomas. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. One of my favorite pictures 
is behind Kimberly and EC walking down the hall, going to see their grand. And they're both large and in charge. (laughs) We may post it on the website. I'm kidding. (laughs) Arms swinging, bellies big, you know. I don't know if I've seen that. Oh, it's good. Is it? Y'all are storming. (laughs) Tummy out to like right here. Uh, It's good. Look, I didn't even tell my grandmother I was pregnant until I was like seven months pregnant. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was, yeah. I hit it. Um, I guess for that me. That FaceTime was, was, <laughs> was, face was tight. No, actually, when I was six months, my mom's sister-in-law, Kay, um, she, my mom's, not sister-in-law, half-sister died. And I went to the funeral. And I wore regular clothes. And I, I could hide it um, up until six months. I could hide it. Then nobody knew I was pregnant. I guess because I'd been, like, so freaking huge when I got sober because of all those damn steroids, you know. Puffy. <laughs> yeah, you know, it didn't really look much different. But, yeah, so I hit it for a long time. But, yeah, that's that's where I am now. I love it. So how long have you been with this company that you're with now? Um, started in, I st- actually, I know it was October 13th of 2018. And so now I've been there. What's that? Five years now. Do you ever have days when a drink looks pretty, pretty appetizing, or is it? Are you pretty set? That that's Daniel and I have opinions on how people answer this kind of question. Yeah, that are you? Are you set in your ways that you know what? That's never ever going to be a solution ever again. So I have to be careful because it's. I can kind of see both. So I always say, you know, like I'm never going back to that. But then I have to say. I have to check myself and I have to be like, you know what? Like there is nothing that can happen today that's going to make me drink. Right. Because I think that if we say we're never going to do it again, then that's almost like allowing our addiction <coughs> to hear, you know what I mean? Like allowing the devil right. to hear like, oh, she thinks she's got it under control. Watch what I can do. Um, so I'm very careful when I say never again. I never say never. Never. Yeah, never. And all we have today, and this is one of the things yes. that I love about 12 Steps, is all we have is today. we yeah. got 24 hours. That's it. Yeah. If you can stay sober for 24 hours, tomorrow we'll do it again. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm pretty right. confident that I'm never going to use for at least the rest of this day. I got exactly, today. Exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly. You, you had me worried there for yeah. a second. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing. I mean, tomorrow is a whole different thing, but we right. tomorrow will take care of itself. You know, right, we, right, don't, right. we don't have to worry about that. You know, um, I think for me... You know, I always say um, when people ask me, like, what your recovery is, I don't, I like AA. I love AA. Mm. Um, I choose not to go to AA meetings because I feel, every you know, everybody's different. Um, I always say that Jesus is my recovery. I'm involved in church. Um, I stay focused in there. Um, and, I, you know, it's like somebody told me once, you know, of course, in AA, they say you're higher power. You know, I would hope that you would make God your higher power because that's the only thing that's going to stay, con- you know, constant. I mean, like. Right. I was pretty close-minded when I, like, if, like, for someone that got sober with faith base and God only, I tried that route and it didn't work for me. Yeah. Um, but here's the thing. So for people that are ready to quit, whatever program they're in is going to work with them. Absolutely. Like for me, I wasn't ready when I just tried God only and celebrate recovery and all that stuff. It didn't work for me because I wasn't ready Right. for drew. AA didn't work perfectly because he wasn't ready. He he was ready when he went to a faith-based program. Right. So there's, 
exactly 1,763,422 different paths to recovery. Each and every one of those ways is good if it works for you. So I've learned in the past, you know, couple of years that, um, I, I need to, I need to cut that, that judgment of, well, well, you don't go to AA, like, how are you sober? If you don't like, no, 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 no. Like, like that's not right. As long as you're actively working your recovery. If what you're doing is working, then yeah, is working and you're happy and not depressed you know obviously even in sobriety i can be depressed from time to time like it's just something like you know you're not going to be perfectly happy at all times like no the the hard depressive times make you appreciate or help you appreciate the the times when things are relatively easy and going smoothly like the the difficult times are absolutely important for me in my life to build character to build discipline uh and in order to be you know, prepared for whatever is going to happen in the next, in, in the, in the future. If it's a, if tomorrow is easy, great. If tomorrow is hell and it's, it's a madhouse, you know what? I'm prepared for that because I've, yeah. I've stuck with it. I'm disciplined, but ultimately the, the, the main point of this is I'm, I'm so happy that the, the God path and the faith-based work, you know, for you and, and for Drew and for the millions of other people. It, it, it didn't work for me because I wasn't ready at the time. Yes. Had I been ready when I was in, you know, going through Celebrate Recovery when I was younger, I would have gotten it. And right. that would be my path. But yeah, so it's different for everybody. And I right. will say, I think that everybody needs to follow the 12 steps of AA in your life. I don't care if you're sober, if you're not sober. I mean, you should practice. It's it an should, appropriate outline. Yeah. And, you know, the even the Bible that I have is a recovery Bible. And it, it's, yeah, I have one of those. Do you have, it's really mm-hmm. cool because it'll take, have you ever seen it? It'll, yeah. t- it'll take the steps. I don't know if I've seen yours, but I've seen It'll break it down yeah. like the, you know, like step two, and then it'll break it down and all that right. kind of stuff. But, yeah, I just think as long as it's working, you know, it's like you said. Right. And, and I do like AA. I just, I've chosen a different path and. And that's what I like. And it, I think a lot of it's also what I was used to when I was living in Mobile. You know, that's what we did. We didn't do AA. We did faith-based. So it was a kind of stick to what you know. Right. And I thought y'all had 12-step meetings at the Home of Grace. We did at the Home of Grace. Um, we didn't at, at Pasco. Okay. So we when we were at Pasco, we didn't have – we didn't go to meetings. I mean, we could have, like, you know, as we had gotten – you know, when we got to, like, choose what we wanted to do. But I just – I just went to church. That's what I did. Praise it. Praise it. There were there were no twelve step meetings at the city of refuge. No. Really? No. I mean that's okay. No. Like AA is not for everyone. AA is not the solution for everyone. I love it. I go every morning. You know, um, I hop on a Zoom meeting in Dallas. That's where my people are. You the the I I tried the church thing, and and for me, church. You know, when I was really really struggling, especially like with meth. I certainly didn't feel like I could go into a small right. group and say, "Hey yeah. guys, like, I'm, I'm I love high. you all." But been rolling that pickle. Yeah, I I've been pickle. smoking methamphetamine out of a meth pipe, and <laughs> um, you know, I don't feel good about it. You know, they would. Oh, oh. oh. okay. Gosh, I don't. I'm late. Be like, yo, bro, you need to go out. <laughs> yeah. We don't have that and, kind and, of ministry. And the point here. is, like, when, when I go into AA, if I were to have to, you know, if I was struggling with something, say, guys. Like, you know, I got high yesterday. I got high I yesterday. I, I need some help. They're going to be like, all right, like, let me come and give you a hug. Right. Like, that's what and, they're going to do. And that should, and I, I will say, you know, 
Unfortunately, we live in a world that the church isn't like that, and that they should be. I mean, everybody's broken that goes to church, and everybody, sh- I mean, just like you get in an AA meeting, you should get that when you walk if walk into a church. But unfortunately, there's not a lot of places, I will say, especially in Jackson, that you can find something like that. Right. I honestly think that if you were to walk into my church in Ocean Springs and tell somebody that, they would welcome you with open arms and they would give yeah, you Yeah, and that's not to say, that that was my experience. Well, yeah, you know no, no, I mean? no, no, like, I'm saying, yeah, with yeah. With one church, yeah. you know, and it, it, it wasn't Pine Lake, that's not, that was just an example that I was throwing out there. No, but um, that would happen if you went there. <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not about that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, it's, it's. You know, church is, if, if I didn't have the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous, I would absolutely need to find that somewhere. And, and church is, is well, as long as you stay plugged in, I think you can have the same exact same boxes checked. You yeah. can have a sense of community. You can have a sense of accountability and you can have a mentor of sorts. Right. Yeah. And that is really the format for how AA works. Yeah. Right. And a that, sense of community and purpose, right. accountability. The main difference, yeah, the the opposite of addiction yeah. is We didn't have accountability. Connection, and right? I, I will say the cool thing about it, you know, um, the cool thing about, you know, Kimberly and Drew and I all being sober is we do hold each other accountable, you know? Like, just recently we all quit vaping, and uh, we, I mean, it, it was... It was tough. I really wanted to vape this morning. My brother was blowing big fat clouds. It smelled <laughs> so good. But, you know, I mean, that's another thing, you know. I mean, honestly, I, I will say that's the hardest thing I've had to do since getting sober. What about for you? I don't know. I mean, it wasn't easy, but. that or the, I would say that you taking the bar probably. Yeah, maybe I feel like taking the bar might might be slightly higher on the list. (laughs) But you know, for I will say that we definitely have a different level of accountability. You know, within our family, Um, for me, accountability. I mean, I'm I'm an open book. Like if you people that I meet for work or whatever. I mean, um, in my industry. It's just, it's insurance, you know, people go, they drink, that's what they do, you know, when you go on conventions and stuff like that. Everybody that I work with knows that I'm sober. Um, And that's because that gives me that extra level of accountability. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not, oh, hey, you know, let's go get drunk, you know, or have a drink or whatever. I know that if I'm honest up front, then that I'm setting myself up for success because a lot of times as addicts, you know, that hiding Living in the shadows. Everything. Yeah, and if, right. you, if you don't... Still leaving that door creaked open yeah. just a little bit to... Yeah. Yeah. Well, lying a little is lying a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A yeah. lie is still a lie, yeah. But I think for me, the biggest thing about working my recovery is I know that I have a heart to help other broken women. I still go back to the place in Mobile where I went, um, where I lived. I still go back as often as I can to, to talk to the woman there, to the women there, Um like, this has been awesome. This is fun. Um, That's what it's all about, right? God it, has yeah. given it to you free of charge. Yeah, and give now it back. Now it's our goal and, and our duty to give it back. And that's not to say, you know, I have people that are placed in my life every day that maybe I can just give them a ray of hope and help, and it might not be them. It could be, you know, somebody that they know. So, I mean, right. I th- and I think that's another thing. You just have to be... Once you've gotten sober and all that crap is gone and your life is good, I mean, like, I raise a three and a half year old on my own, like, and I stay sober doing it, like. And he has a lot. 
of energy. Like he he's <laughs> like Kimberly jokes, and she said, "God knows I couldn't have a kid like Blake because I would have relapsed." Like he he really like hyperbole aside, he's he's wide he's a, open. He's wide open. He's either awake or he's asleep. Um, See, I didn't. I, I mean, he seemed like a reasonable child at at uh, trick or treating on Halloween. He didn't seem like he he's was. calmed th- down a little bit. He, he has calmed down some, but I think that was also. He had no Joel tranquilizer. Some tranquilizers. <laughs> no, this was walking around IV drip outside. <laughs> he went with his actually trick or treating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, okay. When yeah. I was, where was I? I was when you were Iowa. All, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, he's he's calmed down. He has calmed down. Some, no, he's a good. But he's, he's a good kid. Like, oh, he is. Great. I mean, good for kid. the first year of his life, he cried the whole time. He didn't sleep. I mean, it yeah. it was it has not been easy. Um, I will say that that you, is true. He cried a lot. Yeah, like it. It wasn't easy. He wasn't an easy baby. He wasn't the easiest two year old. He, you know, like you can tell Thomas, like, don't touch that. He's not going to touch it, and he won't ever go back to it. If you tell Blake not to touch something, he's going to touch it. Well, let's not. <laughs> let's not pretend Thomas minds really well these days. Uh, well, these days he's but, been wilding out yeah, lately. It's weird, actually. Thomas is been going through a phase and blake's actually been sweet so my kid looks calm right now i'll take it yeah yeah but yeah thomas unreasonable <laughs> lately no they were both they were both totally cool at, at uh, halloween totally cool well we're we're reaching we're at 57 we really now. have about i mean it goes by quick doesn't it do you want yeah. to hop on our on your two questions i'm gonna hop over here yes to the- yes you ready these yeah. are my favorite two questions all right I know you said this was off limits, but would you? no, I'm kidding. <laughs> okay. What do you do poorly in your recovery? What do I do poorly? Mm-hmm. Um, these are hard. Um, I love the last two people I've asked this to, you would have thought, you know, I was like, how do you map the pig genome or something? <laughs> They're just stunned. And I, I've got a long list of stuff I know I'm not doing right. Well, I mean, I think you can you can definitely find. Can you hear me? There you go. Can there you, you hear go. me now? I think we, I mean, of course, I'm not perfect. I don't do anything right. Um, I'm just a big old ball of chaos and somehow it works out. But I would say for me, one thing I wish I could do better is like for me, like time management. I mean, like it's in my recovery. Cause it's like, I set out things to do, whether it's, you know, spend time with God or go to church or whatever. And it's like, sometimes other things just get in the way before my recovery does. I mean, I think that's also like part of my, my place in life right now. I mean, being a mom is all I do. I don't ever get to turn that off. So it's kind of like, I don't have much of a choice, but I would say, that would probably be my thing. Okay, time management. What do you do well in your recovery? Um, I would say that I, I mean, I'm honest. I'm, you know, and I, I give it away. You know, they say, you know, what, when you have it, give it away. As often as I can, you know, I try to use it to help somebody. What a good answer. Good for you. Thank you. I like it. I like it. Drew, was there anything else that you'd like to add to today's episode number 62? Number 62 is in the books. I'm done. Awesome. Elizabeth, thank you so much for coming. You're a rock star. You're awesome. Keep it up. Keep going. Um, Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. When you come back, we'll see how you're doing on your time management. 
Okay. Yeah, we'll check back we'll in check with you. In. Okay. Check in. Absolutely. All right, everybody. Thank you. All right. We'll see you guys next week with uh, Brad Garway and crew. In company. All right. We'll see you later. We'll see you later.